I want to talk to you about something that Noah did and that you and I, we can do also. And I'm not talking about building an ark. Now, now he did build an ark, and perhaps some here would be, um, you know, have that gift to be able to do that type of work and build an ark. But what I want to talk to you today about what Noah did that we can do is the Bible tells us that Noah lived a godly life. And what's so interesting to me about that, he lived in a day and time of ungodly wickedness. Now, if you look on page seven, I hope it is, you're in Genesis chapter number six. And we don't have time to read the whole story about Noah, but I think you're familiar with the story. But let's focus first on verse number five, chapter six, verse five. The Bible says, now the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, that's the, that's the day and time in which Noah lived. That's where he lived. That's how the situation was. And of course, it was so bad, God was about to destroy it. But the thing that fascinates me about that is if you look down in verse number nine, I have to say, and this is genealogy of Noah, the Bible says Noah was a just man. Now the Bible's just told us all these other people, uh, their, their thoughts were uh, evil continually. He said, no, Noah, he's a just man. Then the word perfect, and the idea is, is not sinless. Noah was not sinless, but he was blameless. That the word denotes the idea of integrity. Noah was a man of great integrity. But here's the fascinating thing to me. The Bible says Noah walked with God. You know, there's only one other person in the Bible that is said that very same thing. In fact, if you look back in Genesis chapter 5, look at verse 24, the other man is Enoch. It says, and Enoch walked with God. Then you come over in chapter 6, it says, and Noah walked with God. And that's what I want us to think about today as we think about our day and time. You know, there was a time in my heart, I believe America was looked on as the moral leader of the whole world. Now, we weren't a perfect world, but as we learn about how other countries lived and people live. People looked at America as a moral leader of the world. Now, I don't think today anybody is looking at America as a moral leader of the world. The fact of the matter is, today in America, America is more like the world than the moral leader of the world. And you and I have lived enough years to see this continual decline in, in our moral standards and, and things that we see today that we would never imagine. For example, in, in America, like, of course, this goes back several years, but the Bible banned from schools. Now, many of us remember when we went to elementary school, grade school, every morning, they'd read from the Bible, we'd say the Lord's Prayer, we'd salute the flag. And that was just what we did. That's how we kind of grew up. Well, there's none of that anymore. Like same-sex marriage today in America is, is just paraded as normal. And it's really a sad thing. What, our little children that are growing up, they, they're going to, you see, we remember when it was not that way. 
But like our grandchildren, for example, they're growing up in a day and time where they see that on TV and programs. Uh, You know, Hallmark, which used to be looked at as the great family station, well, they have a certain percent of their movies now. They've set their goals. A certain percent of their movies is going to portray that that same-sex marriage is just normal, nothing unusual about it at all. Well, according to the Bible, it's not how God means it to be. Like sins that were once hidden. You know, sin didn't just evolve here in, in my and your lifetime. Sin started way back in the Garden of Eden. But the fact of the matter is, sins that were committed, but they used to be hidden. Well, now they're just paraded out in the open. They're celebrated. They're not hidden. They're celebrated. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think about that verse in the book of Judges. In fact, it's the last verse in the book of Judges. It says, the people did what seemed to them right in their own eyes. And I really believe that's kind of the the, the standard by which much of America lives today. You just do whatever seems right. And then we teach there's no such thing as absolute right. There's not just right and wrong. There's, you know, kind of depends on the situation. Well, that's, you know, you get enough people living like that, and that's kind of where we are. Now, here's the bottom line of that, though. That, that, that is kind of the condition we find ourselves in today. John was giving these statistics. I wish I'd have jotted them down to have them right before me. But he was telling his sermon Sunday morning the decline in those in America that say they're Christians just some brief years ago to what that number is today. It seems like it went from 90-something percent to 60-something percent of America now says that, that we are Christians and they said this decline keeps going. He had it all worked out from what he had read. That it won't be, it may be even in some of our lifetime, we're gonna, we'll see where we, you know, those who say they're Christian will be, will be less than 50%. And we're probably getting very near to that now. Well, uh, th- this is a situation, but now thank God <laughs> there are Christians in America and you and I, uh, I would think are one, or we wouldn't probably be here to church today at a Bible lunch. But I, I really think there's some simple, practical things that we can do in spite of the ungodly wickedness and surroundings that we live, that we can be like Noah, that we can live a life of moral integrity and that we can live a godly life. And it could be said, not that we're perfect, but it could be said, now there's a man, there's a woman that walks with God. So I want to mention some of these things very quickly. You know, I think the first thing to do is accept the fact that we're surrounded by wickedness. Now, you know, I think if you just accept that fact, it helps you kind of realize that and puts you on guard and puts you in position to move on and do some of the other things we can do. I'll tell you another thing we can do uh, to help uh, live a life that is a godly life, not a perfect life, but a godly life. And that is never be ashamed of God. You know, as a Christian, and we have to respect the fact that there are many that we, are, we have dealings with that are not Christian and, and, and people have a, a right to be whatever they want to be. But we, we shouldn't let that intimidate us and never be ashamed of the fact that we are Christians. I was thinking, boy, this goes back a long time ago, but when Dottie and I were married, uh, she worked at Delta Airlines, had worked there a long time, and, 
every, she worked in the internal audit department and the head, she was a, a secretary to the man named Mr. Dickey Lee who was over that department. And that department, um, I don't know that anybody in that department, there's a small department, actually about eight people that worked in that department. And I don't think any of them not only didn't go to church, I don't think they even knew where church was. They were good people, but they certainly weren't uh, church-going people. But it was interesting. At Christmas, they'd always have a little Christmas party at Mr. Lee's house. And Mr. Lee would tell Dottie, now look, we want you and Charles to come. And, and while y'all are here, there'll be no alcohol served. We'll just enjoy y'all being here, and maybe after about 30 minutes, y'all might, you know, want to go on to wherever y'all go, <laughs> you know. But we'd go, and they would be so nice to us and, and all. But, like, I never left ashamed because I knew where that party was headed, and I didn't want to be a part of that, nor did Dottie. But at the very same time, I wasn't ashamed to let it be known, nor certainly was Dottie. I mean, it really didn't matter to me. It was the people she worked with. Dottie was never ashamed that fact that she was a Christian. She didn't beat people over the head about it, or she didn't try to flaunt it, but she wasn't ashamed of Jesus. You know, if we're not careful as Christians, we're around people, and sometimes if we knew everybody was a Christian, we might say things that we don't otherwise say. Well, number three, we need to speak up for our convictions and principles. Now, listen to this, in a Christian way. Now, sometimes Christians speak up for their convictions and principles, but it's not in a very Christian way. In other words, you need to guard against arguing and having a debate over our convictions. I mean, you know, you, you'll never really, you'll never make much headway arguing about what you believe. You know, so it's one thing to share what you believe, but to, to try to have disputes about it, 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 it goes in the wrong way. And then another thing we can do and this is a good thing, is use your influence. Now, every one of you in this room has influence. You may say, not me. Yes, you do. It may be over a grandchild. It may be over a neighbor. Uh, but use your influence. And if you have a position, use your position uh, uh, for God. Use your influence for God. I, I was thinking, now, what would be a good example of that? Well, I thought, well, I know one. I always hate to mention a political example because if a person's in one party, and they're in a, but let's just forget parties a moment and go back. You know, when President Carter was the president of the United States, every Sunday that he was in Washington, he taught a Sunday school class. He had done that down uh, in his hometown in Georgia, but when he became president of the United States, he taught a Sunday school class uh, there in the church. And I thought, you know, <laughs> that's something, isn't it? President of the United States, <laughs> the United States teaching a Sunday school class. It, it was, it, to me, it was uh, using his position and his influence. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people went to that class, probably not particularly what he's going to teach, but they went to that class uh, out of respect that that's what he believed. And it was, a great, it was a great way to use that position for God. And then uh, live your life in a way that makes God look good. Now, I think that's, the, you know, I think about that a lot. You know, I live, uh, need to live my life in a way that makes God look good. You know, we, we read in the Bible about, like, you know, glorify God. How do you glorify God? Well, you make God look good. That's how I explain it, especially to the, to the students in the church, the, the teenagers. I, I'll say to them, you know, you want to live your life and do what you do in a way that makes God look good because people know that you are a Christian. 
And we, he, we need to understand that as a Christian, we bear God's name when we, when we profess that we are Christian. Or we say, I go to such and such a church. It's a Christian church. Okay. We, we bear God's name. And I wouldn't want to get out here anywhere and, and, and do anything and live in any kind of way that would make God look bad. You know, I guess we call that, call that hypocrites. But we don't want to be that way. And, you know, this, this truth is found throughout the Bible. My favorite story that illustrates this truth is a story about Alexander the Great. You know, Alexander the Great was one of the most powerful and effective generals that ever lived. And, and he accomplished just almost the unbelievable in his span of time. And during one of the battles, this story says, there was one of the men that was under his command, a soldier under his command, that became afraid that he was going to be killed. And what this soldier did, he fled. He just, he went AWOL. He fled because he was afraid. Well, obviously what was going to happen, he would be found, and he was. And he was brought, the story says, to stand before Alexander the Great. And of course, he was fearful. Here's this great general, and here he's done the one thing. The one thing Alexander the Great, as you study his life, the one trait that he hated most was the trait of being a coward. He just looked at being a coward as the lowest thing a person could sink to. And here stands this soldier. And Alexander the Great asked him, why did you flee from the battle? And the soldier, with his head bowed, finally built up courage and said, I was afraid I would be killed. Well, that just was about like spitting in Alexander the Great's face, for he hated cowards. And he stood there a moment or two, the story says, and then he asked this soldier, he said, what is your name? And the story says that the soldier, fearing what would happen, he bowed his head and he said, sir, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great responded in these words, you either change your behavior or you change your name. I, I love that story. It reminds me, <laughs> I'm Christian. You're a Christian. And we need to be sure that our behavior lines up with who it is we say we are. And ask God to help us do that. I want to encourage you. We, we, you know, I feel like oftentimes we just really are in the minority. Uh, John said it. I love, I love the way he said it in his sermon Sunday. We're talking about what we're trying to do in the church to reach people in this day and time. He said we're climbing an uphill battle. It, we really are. Well, Christians are climbing an uphill battle. But then... I just remember verses in the Bible, one of which says, be not weary and well doing. You know, this is a, this is a, I, I just feel like God, I just see little, I, I, I mentioned the, the queen's death and most of us watch some part of that. And I, I, I mentioned in my bulletin paragraph last Sunday that, 
over 4 billion people watched that funeral. Now think about that. Over 4 billion people. And here's what I know. I don't know anything people have watched in my lifetime where they heard more about God and Jesus and Scripture read than during that, during that, all that. I mean, it was just amazing. And then a member of their parliament, uh, John had that little clip in, in his sermon Sunday morning, but a member of their parliament stood up and said the thing about her that made her such a constant for our country was her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what would happen in Washington if somebody stood up in Congress and said something like that? Really? There wouldn't be, I'm not saying we don't have any that believe that, but they're not about to say it. I mean, you just, it, you know, it just wouldn't be the politically the thing you'd say because everybody there's not a Christian. Well, let me tell you something. Just because everybody's not a Christian doesn't mean we don't need to be muscled. We don't want to be rude. We don't want to be arrogant. But it, it, just, it just fascinates me. In our church, we, we've seen, you know, I always, always hate to mention like numbers of things because you, you, people, you know, I don't ever want to do anything that would quench the Holy Spirit of God. But we've had two things happen in two weeks in our church. And I've been here 32 years. But like last Sunday in our church, 25 people trusted Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. Now listen to this. The Sunday before, 25 people. That's 50 people in two weeks. In 32 years, there have been a time or two in things I've seen great. But, but I mean, like, it just seems like there might be just a, a moving of God. And we don't want to go trying to interpret a moving of God based on numbers. I mean, if, if one soul gets saved, the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen. So we're not going to go home last Sunday and say, you know, we had, can you believe this? 25 people made a decision for the Lord. Boy, what a great day. And then this Sunday, I'm preaching this Sunday. Let's say we have two. I'm not going to go home and refuse to eat lunch because we had two. Look, John and I don't save people. That's not our job. Our job is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we lift up Jesus, he draws men to himself. Amen. So... You know, I, I, I just don't feel that pressure. I, I don't, I learned this somewhere about mid part of my ministry that I'm not the Holy Spirit. That's who he is. And I just need to be faithful where I am. He will do what he does. People have a right to choose whether they want to choose. But let me tell you something. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Uh, it's not us, it's him. If we will just live a godly life and we'll all mess up and whatever, but never be ashamed of God and use whatever opportunity we have, whether it be to plant a seed or to say a word or whatever, I'm telling you what, God will bless you. It could be, I don't know. I've wondered, I said this in my paragraph last Sunday. Could it be that another spiritual awakening is coming to America and, God, and it needs to come? Can we agree on that? Could it be as some previous spiritual awakenings came from England, could it be that the queen's death and funeral might be what God's going to use 
to bring a spiritual awakening to our land? Answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I've emailed two or three people. Dr. R.T. Kendall, one. I wrote him an email and said, Dr. Kendall, you were there 25 years. Do you think it's possible that revival is going to come from London? And he said, well, I've known others who've said that before this happened. He said, I don't know, but I'll pray so. I pray so. And Father, that is what I pray. How and when and where you bring spiritual awakening, God, our land needs a spiritual awakening. And yet, we're just who we are. We're just, I'm just a little preacher here and, you know, and everybody hears who they are, where they are. But God, one thing we can all do, and you'll bless it, is to get out here and live a godly life that it could be said of us as it was said of Noah and Enoch. He walked with God. She walked with God. God, help us to do that in this world in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen.